That's yourself and your name is Tartle. Uh, it's just been ordered that you fight another gym mate, uh, Andre Sterling. It's so dumb, isn't it? <laughs> it's so dumb. Oh, oh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, like, come on. Um, fucking, it was so from my language, but it was hard enough um, fighting Charlie, who was my um, bloody gym, gym mate, but at least he friggin' went off, like, and he was, where was he training? In Loughborough? Yeah, like, fucking Andre he's fucking still here like every day like I'm seeing him I'm seeing his trainer and do you know what I mean but it is what it is man like his trainer was first like saying yeah Dan you lot, you don't need to fight and reset it and I see it's been ordered by the board I'm like no worries and I just won that title so I ain't giving it up for shit so it is what it is well, it actually will be a good fight me and Andre we've sparred countless rounds um, but yeah man he's just putting himself in line on my dreams so I've got to run right through him. Simple as that. So, yeah. How hard is it? Obviously, your opponent, you want to hate him, you want to go and punch your head in until the final bell. Now, how hard is it to get that pump for it when you are seeing him every day, when you're friendly with him? And you know what I'm saying? Like, I just literally... I was training and he just walked past like, oh yeah, you're right. I figured, fuck off, man. You're fighting. <laughs> you're, you're fighting me. Like, piss off. Like, I don't want to say hello to you. Like, but yeah, it is what it is. At the end of the day, you got a job done. You got to get a job done. And fuck it. Like, you just we just got. We're gonna get. We're gonna get it on. So. Hey guys and welcome to the beautiful boxing podcast as you've seen from the intro i wanted to touch on the board announcing dan aziz versus andre sterling because i think it's it's an interesting insight into how the sport really really works now i know both guys pretty well i've known andre for well over 10 years now i've known andre for as long as he's been in the boxing gym i think double check that but i've also known dan aziz since what, 2012, 2013? So I've, I've, I've seen these guys come through, and bear in mind we're in 2020 now, so I've seen both guys mature as men. From, from Cut from very different cloths. You know, Andre's, Andre's a child of the street. Andre's a guy for, for who the, the streets will always call, and his, his eternal battle is, can he stay on the straight and narrow? And Andre knows that. And... In a way, that's why Andre never really fulfilled his potential as an amateur. I'm not going to say Dan is the polar opposite, because I don't think that's necessarily true. Dan's not a guy that's a stranger to the streets. But I think Dan's a bit more on the considered side of things, where where Andre's more, you know, you really have to pull him away from the streets. I think Dan can stay away or he can go in. He'll make that choice. But it's a combustible mix because when you strip all of that away, you have two incredibly tough men and you have two incredibly strong men. I, I remember talking to to Don Smith, who, as you guys know, trains Craig Richards and a number of other guys out of the matchroom gym. And he just said, I was surprised at how strong Andre was. And I looked at him and said, I warned you how strong this guy is. Andre's iron-willed, he's, he's, he, he is iron-chinned. I know people say he's been dropped, but Andre's an incredibly tough guy. 
Dan Aziz is an incredibly tough guy. But what these guys bring is that ability to hurt you and to grind you down. So, and I've, I, I said this on the New Age Boxing Podcast, probably in 2016. It's a fight I'd love to see, but everything has its moment. And to call for the fight now doesn't make any sense to me. I thought it was a very strange decision. And I'm not close to the inner workings of MTK, so I don't understand how this has happened. No, I remember when Dan was umming and ahhing about the pro thing. You know, he's like, don't want to do it, don't want to stay in the amateurs. But once he committed to the pros, I was always surprised that no one took a chance on him. A guy like a Steve Goodwin, a Heliot. No one really, no one's really chasing him. I think these are probably around the times of Tommy Dove as well. No one was really chasing Dan Aziz because he hadn't come up in the London system. You know, he'd boxed at the University of Essex, so he'd always come up that kind of Eastern Counties route to the ABAs, and he's an ABA quarterfinalist, maybe more than once. But the key thing with Dan is MTK took that chance on him. I didn't think it was a chance. I thought you guys have signed someone who can do something. And for where they were at the time, he made perfect sense. He was the kind of guy you wanted. He had a strong following in London. He was respected in the sport because everyone in boxing knew who he was. And so you have that. And then you've got Andre on the other side, where Andre was more of a wandering minstrel. He did a few Tommy Dove shows. He's done a few Mo Pryor shows. He's been on TV. He's been televised. Andre's kind of been here, there and everywhere. Now, I think that kind of momentum said to MTK, right, here's the sort of guy we're looking for. We're looking for those guys that can bridge that gap between small hall and televised fighter. You know, And do I believe Andre can challenge for British? Yes. Do I believe Dan Aziz can challenge for British? Yes. Do I believe they'll both win something like a Commonwealth belt? Absolutely. But why now? And... Maybe only Lee Eaton can answer that. Maybe it wasn't his call. Maybe he was just the guy that delivered the message. I have no idea. And I'm respectful enough to say, I don't know. But I look at this fight and Andre's just dropped out of the golden contract tournament by losing to Liam Conroy. Dan Aziz has just won the English title beating Lawrence Osweke. And that's a good win because... A lot was expected of Lawrence. Like, you know, I, his his pedigree, his story, physical attributes. He was meant to be someone. I guess it's kind of that sort of Bob Adjusafe effect where even when a boxer's away for a long time, it's almost like their, their absence from the sport embellishes their legend. So when he came back, people expected big things. And Dan dealt with him comfortably in my eyes. So then now I'm confused where Normally these kind of fights, this feels like a crossroads fight. One guy with the momentum, one guy kind of middling along and one, you know, needing that win. Andre Sterling needs a win. And I would like to have seen Andre fight Ricky Summers again. Makes sense. There's a rematch there. Ricky feels he was a bit unlucky. He was, not, he able, he was able to put him down and all that sort of thing. So, so there's a logic behind making that fight. And then maybe after that, with that momentum, you fight Dan Aziz. Make it worthwhile. Make it for, for a Commonwealth. You know? And in the meantime, Dan Aziz goes and fights someone like a Lyndon Arthur. Now, there's absolute logic behind fighting a guy like Lyndon Arthur because that takes Dan Aziz outside of London. 
He's no longer just an MTK Brentwood and your core fighter. He's on a national stage. And people will know who Lyndon Arthur is. They'll know his story. Hell of a talent. And if Dan gets that win, that elevates him across the country. And it puts him in a discussion to fight a guy like Craig Richards. You know, so then that brings the money back down to London, but it gives you a national profile for that fight. It's not just two Londoners fighting each other that no one else knows about. No, the guys like Nathan, is it Nathan Thorley out of Wales? They're all of these guys who this fight could have happened with. And if I'm being honest, I'd rather it had happened that way. But this is boxing politics. So what generally happens is someone says, right, we'll make Sterling versus Dan Aziz a promoter, in this case, Lee Eaton, goes to the board and says, we want to make this fight for the British title, for the English title, sorry. And... Take a second and think about what that tells you about boxing. You know, when you listen to promoters talk about the board, they create this impression that the board will sit there and it's a committee of wise men and women that sit around and go, which fights do we think are right for the English title? And, you, and I'd like to feel guys like Robert Smith, who boxed as an amateur for St. Ives, and I think he was even a pro. These guys were deep into the sport. You'd like to feel that they control which way the fights go. In reality, promoters just come and pitch ideas. It's like Dragon's Den. That's what the British board is like when it comes to titles. It's like Dragon's Den. You come in and say, here's a fight. This is the fight we want to do for this title. On this show, we think it's a big fight. It's a big event. And the board will go, yeah or nay. No, them's the rules, as I like to say. But it essentially means it's a, it becomes a function of leverage. How much leverage do you have with the board that you can make any fight happen? You know, promoters are getting their prospects who, you know, they win a title and they're having what, what look like soft defences when, as fans, we think there are more deserving candidates. But this is just how the sport works. Some people call it corrupt. I just say it is what it is. Um, I don't put a label on it anymore because I don't believe we will ever change it. But then it brings me back to back to my original question. Why now? Why Sterling versus Aziz now? Sorry, Aziz versus Sterling. Are they going to headline? Will this be a fight that headlines? That's one option. Another option is this is a fight that's packaged up for a show. Maybe you have this on an undercard of a pay-per-view show. And looking at the timings of it, I don't know what the dates are. So if someone knows dates, correct me. But you could have this on like a Chisora undercut. It would make perfect sense, especially at the O2, because O2 Southeast London, Dan Aziz of Southeast London, as is Andre Sterling. You will pack out the O2 because it's a real fight between two fighters who are really respected. And and you know, just like Craig and Andre managed to do the same thing. So maybe they've seen what that energy does and they've said, right, this is what we're gonna do. They might headline it at your call. I think that would be fantastic for Dan Aziz to get that sort of profile. I think it'd be great for Andre as well. And I have to reiterate, both these guys are people I respect as men. I consider both men to be friends and it puts me in a really difficult position. As a boxing fan, I'd watch Dan and Andre fight all day. I'd watch Dan and Andre spar. I'd watch them just argue amongst each other. That's how I feel because I know what both guys are capable of. But I understand they're trying to make a living. And when you're trying to make a living, you want your marquee fights, the fights that will punctuate your career, 
to maximise your commercial potential. But then that's me speaking. Some fans don't care. They just want that hit. Give me a great fight now. And I'd be hypocritical if I do a podcast telling you how 2017 was a great year because they just gave us the fights we wanted. We got Loma versus Rigondeaux. We got Hey Bellew, and I know people complain, but we got Hey Bellew and we got Canelo Golovkin. So I can't on one hand say, you know what, it's a bit premature for these lads to be fighting each other. Then on the other say, well, it's great when people just fight each other and there's no politics. So then that's why I'm conflicted because I'm a bit like, couldn't they give you a soft defense first, Dan? But no, straight into the straight into the breach. But I think just to draw a line under this, the important thing to understand here is you're in for a good night. And I hope both guys give their best account. I hope it is that personal rivalry. Who really is the best guy at the Peacock Gym? I want all of that. I just wish it was for a bigger belt and I wish it was for a bigger person. That's probably the best way to to underline what I think is just an interesting scenario. And I'd like to know the logic that underpinned that decision. Well, it seems this is a season to be leaving trainers. So if you look, well, uh, <laughs> so Fowler and they've called it a split. Josh Taylor has severed his ties with Cyclone completely. And he's now partnered up with MTK, ESPN and Bob Aaron. Now, there's a lot of things about the whole MTK, ESPN, Bob Aram link up that don't make any sense to me. I don't know where Frank Warren fits into all of this. I don't know where BT fits into all of this. And I love that about MTK, man. This is real outlaw spirit to what they're doing right now, where it just seems from the outside looking and they're just doing what the hell they want. But they're not making many dud moves. These all look like good moves they're making. So they've quietly built the strongest stable in British boxing. Directly, indirectly, however you want to choose it, their tentacles encompass an all-star team of British boxing. Frampton, Fury, Billy Joe. Well, you've got Josh now. These are all guys who are in that pound-for-pound pound, top 10, top 20 discussion, easily. you got the guys on the come-up, you know, that the golden contract will reveal a lot more, but you've got guys like, you know, you've got solid guys in that stable that you look at and you go, wow, how have they done this? And we've all just been sleeping. And I remember small hall promoters saying MTK aren't a threat to us. I remember big name promoters going MTK aren't a threat to us. And the one thing MTK always had was they had the kind of balance sheet and the kind of cash that meant you could make fights between regions, between fighters that weren't happening before. You're suddenly giving the fans more of what they want. I mean, they've got Ahara Davis on their roster and he's just there. I mean, he's just there. And and because of this, you look at you look at what they do and... You're almost a fool if you don't partner with them because they seem to have ambitions greater than maybe Queensbury, but maybe not quite as grand as Matchroom. But they partner with Sky when they need to and they partner with Matchroom when they need to. But what's really fascinating about it, especially in the Taylor case, is how Hearn didn't get him again. 
So go back to 2012, no one picked up Josh Taylor. So he carried on. 2014, no one really wanted Josh Taylor. So Cyclone picked him up. And here's where I've got to give Cyclone credit. They backed him. They gambled. When Hearn wouldn't make Josh Taylor versus O'Hara Davis, Barry McGuigan found the money for it. Maybe it bankrupted Cyclone, I don't know. But he found the money for it. And that took Josh Taylor from a a guy being talked about on the forums and being tweeted about by smart-ass boxing fans to a guy we knew would win a world title. So investment well made. The sad part of it is Cyclone will not get to see the the full return on investment because as happens in boxing, people get in your ear. So what, what probably happened? Josh Taylor, probably after the Postal fight, people were looking at Josh going, okay, cool. Yeah, okay. Mm, yeah. Yeah, he's got something about him, yeah? And then he did the whole, was it like, he did the whole World Boxing Super Series and you know, that, that, that Baranchik fight is probably what took him over the top. And then the way he dealt with Progre, at that point there, if you're a trainer with any ounce of anything about you, you're sending Josh Taylor a message. It might just be a casual congratulations, mate. We've all done it as trainers. We've all done it where we've gone, congratulations, mate. You box really well. You box beautifully. And then you get an oh, thanks. And you go, yeah, 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 mate. I'm looking forward to your next fight. And what a fighter might say is, is there anything I could have worked on? The minute they do that, that's when you know they've got doubts in their mind. You prey on that. Well, I saw this and I saw that. I feel if you made these adjustments, you wouldn't have to sacrifice anything and you'd be a far better fighter for it. And then you build a relationship. Meanwhile, that fighter goes away and goes and starts looking critically now. You know, Josh had the, the incident in the Edinburgh nightclub, these sorts of things. And that's the sign of someone who hasn't got a big brother in boxing terms, to hold him down and say, listen, calm down. Because I don't think he would have done that had George Grove still been in the gym. I don't believe he would have done that had Carl Frampton still been in the gym. Do you see what I mean? So there are elements to this boxing game that happen behind the scenes but can have a profound effect. And it is, it's an eternal game of trainers trying to protect their fighters because they're in a precarious position. You're the 10% man. So you get 10% of the purse, but you get no contract. Shane McGuigan doesn't have a contract with Josh. Josh is free to walk away whenever he wants. And that leaves Shane, you know, with a stable that doesn't have a big biller. So where does he derive his income? It's hard. Same thing with Dave Caldwell. Now that you lose Anthony Fowler, how are you going to derive your income? You've got no Derek Tesora. There's no Bellew. So where are you getting your money from? And it causes a problem because boxing fans don't want to hear trainers in the media. They don't want people like Caldwell doing 500 interviews a year. They, they, they actually don't. But the problem Dave Caldwell has is, is the only way he stays relevant in the sport. His TV work now is what pays the bills. You know, so he has to be visible. He has to be vocal. He has to be entertaining in a boxing sense. Otherwise, people forget he exists. And into that gap will step another trainer. It's the same with Shane. When the money dries up, these guys will come out into the media because you've got to get a check somehow. And I don't, I don't knock that because they're the least secure in terms of employment in the whole boxing food chain. So I understand why they want to move. I think in Fowler's case, there's probably some issues around just 
that commute's a killer. You know, you're you're away for four or five days a week. You don't get to see a family. You know, you're getting older. When you're young, that's a buzz. You know, being being away from home and all that, that's cool. It's fun. But you know, Fowler's, what, 28, 29? He's now at that point where he wants to put down roots and he likes, you know, you've got a girlfriend, you want to settle down, you want to have a good life. I understand that. So maybe he'll look for a trainer closer to... Closer to Liverpool. So it might be someone in the northwest. We'll see. The other the other situation I found interesting was also with Taylor. Why would Taylor move? And I think it's probably more for Taylor, less for Fowler, but it's the same principle. You don't want to be the most talented guy in the gym and you haven't had 35 fights yet. Do you see what I mean? You don't... Look, look at Ryan Garcia. He looks up to Oscar Valdez, who looks up to Canelo. Now, people say, oh, well, who did Canelo look up to? Canelo came from a family of boxers, like top-level boxers. So he's always come up in that environment. And you look at Josh Taylor in the cyclone gym, and he's the number one guy there. Who are you learning and developing of? Who's showing you the way? And maybe that's why he lost his way a little bit outside the ring. There's no George anymore. There's no Carl anymore to to keep him in line. Not, not, not in like a disciplinarian way but just in a look here's how you want to move when you get to a certain point in your career now if Taylor goes to the wildcard gym makes perfect sense he might go and train with someone like Brian McIntyre who trains Crawford makes sense in Britain I think he'll struggle to be just one of a group of talented fighters and that's what I'd be recommending he does find somewhere where you're not the best guy and then challenge yourself to become the best guy. And that, that's what's best for him. And probably the same with Fowler. Fowler needs to be around guys who are better than him. I know people will laugh now and go, well, that could be anyone. I don't think it would harm him to be at the matchroom gym for a bit. I genuinely think Anthony Fowler would grow in the matchroom gym around guys like Tony Sims and around guys like you know Don Smith and all that. I think he'd grow in that environment. But once again, it's a commuting issue. So then you start looking at guys like Jamie Moore, Nigel Travis. Fair enough. So these are all options, but it goes to show that when you're a trainer, you're not secure. There's always someone chipping away at what you've got because they want what you've got because it's just about economics. You want your big billers in your gym to keep the lights on, essentially. And then if you can get a few quid out of it so you can live, fantastic. But it is just to keep the lights on. And when you lose them, you essentially just use a stack load of revenue. It's... It's like British Airways going from selling out all of their flights to just suddenly selling 10% of their flights. Their whole business changes and it's not viable anymore. So no, no, I found that fascinating. And it's, it's been interesting. And, you know, Fury changing trainers as well. I'm not a fan of it. Just for the record, I'm not a fan of it. I think you should get it right first time. And then that's you. And people say, well, why do you say that? Here's why. What happens with boxers is they fight for something like a world title and they come up short. They change their trainer. Six months later, first fight back, we say, ah, oh, looks amazing. I can see what he wasn't doing before, which he's definitely doing now. And then what we forget is the guy that he's fighting is two or three levels below the guy he lost to. So then the fighter talks about how great this new relationship is, this, that, and the third, until he fights for another world title and loses. Now you look and you go, I don't think it was a trainer. I think it was you. Boxers don't want to take accountability for the fact that they cut corners. 
No, these injuries come when you don't do what your coach asks. These injuries come when you don't live the life. These injuries come when you don't make the sacrifices. That's when the defeats come too. And boxers don't take responsibility for the fact that maybe they're not trying hard enough or maybe they're just not good enough. It always has to be the trainer's fault. And at 10% of a person, it's not worth it. You know, managers never get the same blame. But then again, they've got the contract, so they're okay. But let's see. Let's see what happens. I think 2020 will be a year where a lot of people will change trainers because it's just become the new thing. Like quitting on your stool and throwing the towel in, this is just the new trend in boxing. The idea that anything's better than what I currently have. But we'll see. You know, time will tell what the future holds for these guys. So, what are we now? Uh, five weeks away from Fury Wilder 2. And we've finally been treated to the opening salvos of, you know, probably the two best heavyweights on the planet right now. So, I found the press conference really interesting for a number of reasons. The main one is, Fury was giving off mixed signals. So I didn't know if Fury was super focused or super nervous. And these things are hard to tell. Um, because Fury's good at masking what he really feels. He's, he's the ultimate actor in those sorts of situations. With Wilder, Wilder was very businesslike. And what we've learned from this is Wilder now knows how to behave on the big stage which is a worry for someone like Joshua, because now we're beginning to see that the occasion is not going to get to Wilder. Body language was firm, was strong. He spoke like a man that knew he had his man beat. Now we can talk about, oh, I really think Fury won that, or we can talk about, oh, Wilder was unlucky. That doesn't matter. What matters is he thought he had Fury out. Yeah? And Fury probably thought he was out too. And so what you saw for the rest of that 12th round was a man who had emotionally disengaged with the fight in Deontay Wilder because he was like, well, I've done my job. You know, it's, it's, it's that classic thing, isn't it? Like, if you start celebrating a lap too early in a marathon and then all of a sudden you've got to find the hunger and the energy in a split second to get back on that track and run to win, you're not going to. And that's what Fury took advantage of. Perhaps had Fury got up at two, Wilder would have just said about him and finished him in a more emphatic way. But, you know, that fight's done. And seeing Wilder looking very business-like, very focused was interesting. And then Fury a bit more reserved, reticent. It's interesting. And people say, which way do you think the fight will go? And I tell you truthfully, I don't know at the moment. Because what we know for certain is if Wilder lands that shot on Fury, he'll drop him. If Wilder lands two or three of those shots on Fury, that's six points Fury's got to make back. Wilder can box conservatively after that behind his jab, and he's done it before. But then we also know that if Wilder doesn't land that, he's just going to give rounds to Fury. And if Fury can avoid that right hand for the whole fight, then that's him. He can, he can do that irritating thing he does where he switches to southpaw. But there's a question I still have. And I think no one really asks it. What did that fight take out of Tyson Fury? 
We don't know because he fought Tom Schwartz, who he was supposed to beat, and he fought Otto Wilden, who he was supposed to beat. He didn't stop either of those guys, and I think those guys are there to be stopped. So I wonder, what's actually left in that tank? How much does he really want this fight? How much does he really want to win versus how much does he want that money? Maybe in his head, psychologically, he's more in love with the Joshua fight. It means more, it's financially more lucrative, and he can get the belts back that he lost. Maybe there's a bit of romance there. But with this Wilder fight, I just it doesn't seem to me like his heart's in it, and I could be overanalyzing, but we'll find out in the next few weeks. It just doesn't seem that his heart's in it. You know, it's almost like he's doing Fury by numbers. I like the suit with the Tyson Fury images on it. I thought that was kind of cute. It was funny. It was this, it was that. But it wasn't what we're used to. It wasn't that whole, I'm coming for you. What are you going to do about it? Don't know the reason for that. But I just found that really interesting. And there you have it. There's a a quick update. Hopefully this helps the commute go a little better, guys. Um, Listen, as always, thanks to everyone who who submits the the reviews and everything. Listen, I read all of them. So, you know, if I can make the show better, leave, leave the comments in the reviews, get hold of me, whatever, and we can get it cracking. No, so seriously, thanks to thanks to everyone who's who's helped out. You know, guys like Daddy Peg, guys like Twin E, you know, Rule Fox, Greg Cross, everyone that's just chipped in and given me the the reviews and everything. I really appreciate that. You know, there's a guy called Coochie Liquor. Come on, man, really in 2020. But look, man, whatever makes you happy, fair play. You know. Kevarino, there's loads of guys, man. Thank you very much for all the people who've put the reviews in, who've shown love. And it's it's the sort of positive energy that keeps you going. That's what keeps you going, knowing that there are people that listen and appreciate. And it makes you do the research. It makes you want to get under the stories. It makes you want to deliver something that hopefully you can't get anywhere else. So no, all appreciated. Thank you very much. And for the people who've given me suggestions for shows, haven't forgotten those I'm drawing up a backlog of things and I'll start to tackle those. You know, we'll get through them in 2020. That's my promise to you. Cheers, guys. You know, have a great day and take care. I